Okay, hello everybody, and um, my name is Ken Foster, and this is the City of Dogs podcast. And today I am speaking with Garrett Rosso, who is a New York City dog trainer and also is sort of the head cheese, or whatever the appropriate word would be, for New York City dog parks. If you want to um, maybe give your official title. That would be great, Garrett, if you're still on the call. <laughs> good, a- good afternoon, Ken. It's terrific to hear you. Um, yeah, you can. I mean, I'm the owner and trainer, training director of Village Dog Works, which is a dog training and obedience school in New York City. And I've also sat on the board for the New York Council of Dog Owner Groups. Uh, that's a mouthful. And that's why we generally call it Nice Dog for NYC Dog. And we're the group that's started the first dog parks in New York City. And we kind of, we oversee the volunteer efforts at all of the city's public dog runs. And that is how you and I have known each other for a long time from, <laughs> I mean, should I even say how long? It's kind of frightening. 19 years, I think. 19 um, years, I think I, my dog is featured in one of your very first dog books. Um, uh, you're right. You're right. And our two dogs, when we were both, um, like, stupid dog owners who knew nothing, <laughs> um, we had two crazy dogs who absolutely loved each other, even when they often did not necessarily love other dogs. <laughs> And um, so we were in the East Village at the time, as you still are, and um, knew each other through the dog park there, which um, is obviously one of the things we want to talk about. You um, are not. And, and, and one of the things that, that our dogs did was both of our dogs changed the course of both of our lives. It's true. I mean, and that's true. Kind of, it's always amazing. I feel like everybody who has a dog, has a dog who changed their life in some way. But with you and I, it happened at the same time, but also, I think, in monumental sorts of ways that we couldn't have imagined at the time. Um, so I, you know, I got a dog, didn't know anything really about having a dog, even though I thought I did. And so that whole process is something that I've written about, but also that changed me into being in some ways a more responsible person. <laughs> and I, um, I, I think you you found your subject. You were not really writing about dogs prior to Brando. And Brando is 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 one is your dog. Um mine was Java, a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Yeah, and Brando and, was a giant mix of brindle dogs um who I would walk around downtown Manhattan and people would constantly stop and ask if he was a hyena. Which um, t- tells you something about the education level of people who work on Wall Street. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but, our lives our lives were very different then. I was working in advertising. You you had yet to find your subject with dogs. Um, we both right, so, were novices. We were novices at the time. Neither one of us knew anything about the d- two dogs we had. And you went on to study and write about dogs nonstop. And I immediately enrolled in a dog training academy to become a behaviorist myself because I had become so obsessed with dogs. And and here we are talking on a podcast in the middle of a pandemic. Um, And the city was very different back then, too. We were living in in a New York City where... We didn't have dog dog parks hadn't exploded yet. There there used to be chickens and wild animals running around the East Village. Those chicken my dog loved visiting the chickens. Um we had to go see them frequently. But um and they would wake us up in the morning, the roosters would. But the interesting thing about thinking about dogs and community in New York City back then is that um you know, I lived near the dog park, so I found myself more and more going and sort of watching from the sidelines, which I feel like back then there was always seemed to be like a crowd of people, like as if it was a zoo, 
who were just watching people play with their dogs like it was the most foreign thing oh, 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 imaginable. And the, dog, and, the, and the dog parks were so filthy back then because we had no idea how to build them. I remember we used to sit on the fence. We would stand on the top of the bench and we would sit our butts down on the top of the fence because they were so filthy. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, we, we didn't even have a gate at the time. There was a gate that always fell off the fence. So we used to drag a park bench in front of the, the Tompkins Square Dog Park is also known as First Run because it was the first dog park set up in the New York City Parks Department system. And wow, what a history it was. <laughs> when when did it first open? So it it opened a little before my time in 1990. And uh, not that I wasn't born in 1990. I didn't have a dog in 1990. But that was right after the park had been closed for a number of years, following the Tompkins Square Park riots. And when it opened, we the city decided to leave the dog to make the dog park official. So that we had at that point, we went from a community, a space that the community had just been using, um, to an official dog park in Tompkins Square Park, which was literally nothing more than a field that had a wrought iron fence around it and a barely working gate. And that was our first dog park. And why? Why do you think it was <clears throat> essential to have a dog park in the East Village at that time? And why did it then become something that that was done in every neighborhood, essentially, in New York at this point? So I'm going back there. But I, I think that the legend has the lore had always been Tompkins had been was having the problem of a shanty town had developed in Tompkins Square. Uh, that was filled with homeless people who had built shacks, who had built encampments, and it had overtaken the park. And this was prior to 1990. And the then park manager named Harry Greenberg um, decided to set up a fenced-in area in front of his office where he was letting the dogs come because it would keep uh, it was keeping the encampment away from his office and from his staff. Oh, that's funny. And, and it was just fortuitous that our then park commissioner, Henry Stern, lived across the, down the block on 10th Street. And so Henry and Harry decided this would be a good idea to try out. So when Tompkins was officially closed, um, they still left an area open for dogs to come in and use the park. And when the park reopened, that's when the dog park became official. So what do you think the benefits of having a dog park in a community in New York City in particular are that have made it such a sort of essential ingredient that the Parks Department has allowed to spread even, um, you know, even now in, in the Bronx, there haven't been dog parks until very recently in some of the parks. But now, even in the Bronx, there are dog parks, um, which people are very happy to have. And and it really does build community. Um, and I think they've also found, possibly accidentally, that having foot traffic with dog owners is a deterrent to having other kinds of traffic that might be less appealing. Um, but what what else can you... Can you throw in there, aside from what I just said? Well, you, you know, dog parks follow the political and the cultural whims. And I should say the political whims. I remember the, the first dog parks that got built were, liter were precisely because we were rebuilding New York City parks at that time. Mayor Bloomberg had just got elected and decided that we needed to rebuild city parks because they were in deplorable situation. And it was his mission to build a world-class park or exercise facility within 10 minutes of every New Yorker. So they really knew they couldn't just do it from the top down. You couldn't just rebuild the entire park system by pouring money in from the top down. They had to build these grassroots groups from the bottom up. So dog parks became what they called 
a way to bring, and the word they used to use then, responsible user groups back to city parks. <laughs> so suddenly we went from being the scourge of the parks. You know, Jimmy Breslin was writing essays how in Fran Leibowitz, of all people, were writing essays to keep the dogs out of New York City. And suddenly we were like going to be one of the saviors of the park system because they wanted us back in there. And it was, and they were correct. It was everybody used the parks, the, the dog parks. It was a great melting pot. Anyone with a dog wanted to go back into the parks. We were there first thing in the morning. We were the last group to leave when the park sh shut down in the night. Um, it was doctors, lawyers, retired people, students, um, every, every color, every race, every person, every walk of life would come together in the dog park. And we were like, we're the true gumbo, the true melting pots of New York. Right. It's true. And it's not without its uh, conflicts for the very same reason. Um, but at the same time, I think dog owners in a city are, even though you can always find the, the jerk dog owner in any crowd. Um, but for the most part, they're, they are people that are used to routine, used to being responsible, used to being um, sort of aware of their surroundings in a way that maybe some other people are not. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because now I live, I've, I, you know, left New York. I lived in New Orleans for a while where there were no official dog parks. And then by the time I left, not because of me necessarily, but I was able to see them start to embrace the idea of having official dog parks. Um, but there were always those people in a neighborhood that were very suspicious of the dog park crowd, you know, <laughs> because we would talk to each other and do all the things that the people that weren't dog owners uh, avoided doing, you know, <laughs> I mean, to and continue then, the, to continue the new Orleans metaphor, if dog parks were gumbo, it's like the dogs were the spice that made it all come together. And it just, it just it broke down it breaks down barriers suddenly you know you're 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 all fellow dog owners there's something yeah. there's a shared experience we all can partake in and now now that i live up in the hudson valley i'm in a city here that does not have a dog park um and when the question is raised over and over again um there's this great fear of what would happen if there was a dog park and it's like like what would happen if there's not a dog park is really what, what they should be thinking about. Cause we see what, what happens when there's not a dog park. We were, I was talking to a group of people who were involved the other day with getting the first dog park started. And, and we all were talking about like the civics lesson we learned back in the day when we first started putting dog parks together. And it just seems very applicable today with the pandemic going on and everyone needing to figure out new rules of behavior because when we first started dog parks nobody knew what was going was going to happen we didn't know whether the dogs were going to mix well let alone whether the people were going to mix well and we didn't even have rules back in the day i remember when we, when tompkins square first got their first rule sign it was because two legendary characters from the dog park one was named monet and the other was roger carr and they were sitting around and decided, well, you know, we probably should have some rules. And they went across the street and borrowed a can of paint because the first dog parks were all put together on a shoestring budget. We had no budget. So we got a, they got a can of paint, walked it back over to the park with paintbrush, and, and they crafted the very first set of dog park rules on an old backdrop sign. And it just we learned the civics lesson back then that you can't police behavior. You can't police bad behavior. What you need is you got to come up with a group of acceptable rules that folks can agree upon and follow. And it just, it, it seems like that's what we're doing today with the pandemic is we all got to figure out like, you know, is it acceptable to step into an elevator without a mask? On? Um, is it acceptable to be running down the sidewalk at your neighbor? Um, we need to, we're, well, we gotta figure out that civic lesson again. Your way through that also, you know, we all need to, to be willing to take a step in order to decide whether that's the step to take or not, you know? 
Remember that back in the day in the early dog parks, people would get into these heated arguments. Um, and then, the, then 15 minutes later, realize what were you fighting over? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also think like having those broadly accepted basic rules posted is a huge help too, because then it makes it a little easier to say to somebody who maybe is new, like, like, um, you know, I feel a little bit more empowered to say like, you need to pick that up, you know, <laughs> um, because there's a, there's a sign behind me that, that also says that. <laughs> it, it, it was just, it was convenient to be able to point to something, right? Yeah. Uh, so so I, I, I do think that what we learned setting up that first dog park, it was almost like it was most folks first introduction to politics. It was people's first introduction to civics it's you know we, we learned a lesson that seemed a metaphor for a great many things in life at the time like everybody had large dogs multiple large dogs because people could multiple live in large, large spaces <laughs> and the, the dog park was the east village was filled with rottweilers and pit bulls at the time yeah um yeah everyone I mean, I, had a big dog I remember going to a pool party for dogs that um, included, among several pit bulls, also a Rottweiler who was swimming laps and would growl at people as she swam past them. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it was totally normal. Um, but, I, I, but through that, I got to know people who did other things, which was, uh, you know, I realized, like, this is what I've been missing, talking to people who actually do things. <laughs> But but dogs were like the way we got to know each other, um, and I think it, became, it also, was such a lifestyle. Style. You literally got thrown when you walked into that dog park. You got thrown into the swimming pool of like other dog owners, and suddenly it became you were part of this community that you didn't know existed. And it became it, it became our new backyard. Once you had a dog and you lived in New York City. As soon as you got home, you had to take your dog out and you were using the dog park like it was your backyard. Yeah, it was. It was the backyard. I, and I, um, you know, years later when I wrote about having a dog in that neighborhood, I would get uh, email from people who, you know, said they knew me. Not that they'd ever spoken to me. But they were among those people who were watching all of us with dogs. Oh, the cast, <laughs> the characters. And, and yeah. we knew everything about each other before we knew each other's name. Because the gossip just went around that, that dog park like, like it was nobody else's business. <laughs> right. I, I knew who people oh, – I'm not even going to go there right now. <laughs> I – well, I, I didn't – I mean, I – I'm always the person who doesn't necessarily seem to know what, what's going on. Um, so I can't say that I knew that much about what was happening. But, but yeah, we knew each other as neighbors. It was a cast of characters with their, with their pets. It's and, uh, and then, I mean, and, now, and later. And now, it's all, and now it's all gone. It's all gone right now. I, I hate to say it. Right now, it's all gone. The uh, the roads so, are closed. The city is closed, and I let I had left the city for six weeks. I was sheltered at a, next door to a horse farm next to Lindy Horse Farm in Summers, Connecticut, and I was there for six weeks. But I was sheltered and isolated alone, and decided to come back to the city because so what, there was I had no community. There was no community whatsoever there. Well, you sent me a couple pictures, and um, I can say I can testify that there was not a single other person in sight in any of the photographs. <laughs> not a soul. I I, I got you a bicycle. can see for miles, but not a single person. <laughs> I got a bike. Gabriel and I were bike riding about four or five miles, to, uh, and then stopping every day. So we were going on like ten, twelve mile rides every day. I'd literally have to stop and hold up, hold up somewhere near a bubbling brook for about three or four hours so he could recharge. But I, we, I didn't run into anyone. And that was isolating. That was very isolating. Yeah. So what is, first let's talk about the dog park 
situation in the pandemic. And then I want to talk more about uh, also what, what it's like for you now that you're back. But but the dog parks are closed, as is pretty much everything in the city. But there's a plan that I haven't paid too much attention to yet myself for reopening the city, whatever that ultimately means. Um, but what about things like dog parks? Well, you know, I, you were one of the first people I reached out to was I was speaking to Amy Willard, who's my co-chairman at Nice Dog, and we were drafting a letter to the city council um, asking that they include dog parks in phase one's reopening with a few caveats, um, you know, that we limit it to no more than 10 people at a time and that perhaps on a local level we could, you know, revise that based upon how much space was allowed. And just as we sent that letter off and it was being considered, um, the CDC came out with their recommendations that dogs now must also socially distance and that we should not expose our pets to other dogs and we should specifically avoid dog parks. So, So that's out the window. Right. So they are now all they're all boarded up. They're chained shut. And uh, we don't really know why. We don't know why they're telling us pets should socially distance from one another. I've got what if they're wearing people. a mask? Well, interesting. That is the letter I wrote to the CDC saying, guys, you know, every single newspaper I've read that ran your recommendation, decided to illustrate the story with the picture of an owner trying to put a mask on their dog. And I'm like, this. I do not think this is a good idea. And I really wish you would issue a statement <laughs> saying, please don't try to retrofit your human masks for your dogs. Well, and, and, and then I heard... <laughs> I was going to say, I, and, and did you get a response? <laughs> I I got only I got some private responses that are not the voice of the AVMA or the CDC. But two doctors specifically said they're worried there's there's concern that animals being exposed to one another that the coronavirus may form a reserve in the pets. They don't know if this is the case. They have no proof that it's the case. They have no evidence that it's the case, but it would be a terrifying thing to find out that the animals could be asymptomatic carriers of the disease and that they're terrified if that happens, it would cause a lot of euthanasia. So although there's no evidence that this is happening, that is what they're being cautious about. Wow. I mean, that is a scary (laughs) thought. Um. So in the meantime, what do dog owners and dog communities do? Because dogs need to go somewhere. They need to be social. They need to get exercise. And when you're living in a big city like New York, there aren't a lot of, well, there are no official options right now because the dog parks are closed. Yeah. Yeah. So. The dog parks are closed and social distancing doesn't seem to be the reason that or human socially distancing from one another doesn't seem to be the reason that the CDC is closing the dog park. Um, So what are we doing now? Dog parks, we're supposed to be keeping our dogs on leash, on leashes. Um, I take mine out very early in the morning on my bicycle. I'm luckily dexterous enough that I can ride my dog alongside my bike while I hold the leash. Um, And we try to get up, and I'm not a morning person, but I try to get up at 6 o'clock so I can be out um, at the crack of dawn before there are other people on the street. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting up early and trying to exercise him then. Right, but do you think other people are as willing or adept at doing that i mean aren't i feel like i guess the question in my head is aren't people gonna sort of make their own unofficial off-leash area in areas that 
Should definitely not be off leash. Uh, well, that kind of brings us into the question, the, the whole discussion of New York City parks and what's going on in them right now. And going into a New York City park should be a place that's pleasant. It should be a place that we go to recharge. But they really become like open air lunatic asylums right now. You've, a lot of the homeless are living in there. A lot of the, a lot of the problems that we have with mental illness is taking place in the parks. So you have to worry about that. There are we've got our own brand of what we call covidiots here, who no matter where you are, there's a group of them running at you without their masks on. So people are always trying to dodge runners, and I'm lit- and there's literally thousands of them. It's not like you're trying to like miss the errant one or two people. There's an entire column of people running um, during the middle of this pandemic without masks on. So that just adds to everybody's unease. And then we've got dog owners who, you know, quietly we try to find some people are trying to find a space where they're isolated, where they can throw a ball. Um, I haven't done that yet because the parks are so crowded. I don't think that, you know, I'm not finding a lot of empty, you know, an empty spot to do that right i mean it seems ironic that with with all of the room that is in a park versus in a building that they are the places where you cannot find any space well they're shutting everything down they've closed playgrounds they've locked ball fields so the only places that are free trust me there's a group of a thousand people trying to run through them i call them the playground I call them the plague runners. I mean, I don't understand like how we think history is going to look at this. Could you imagine if in the middle of the Ebola outbreak in Zaire, we decided to run a marathon? Could you imagine in the middle of the t- tuberculosis epidemic in New York or the typhoid epidemic, we decided to encourage people to run around without masks? But that is ex- precisely what's happening in New York City parks. And nobody will address this issue. Um, and it's just it's adding to the unease of people who want to go into the park with their dog or senior citizens who want to go in the park um, and sit down and relax. Because you never know, uh, because you're going to always be dodging runners and they just don't seem to want to wear a mask. Wow. Um, and so it's tough. It's a little tough. Um, I, I, I don't. None, I don't think anyone's actually forged a community. None of us have a plan at what we're doing. We're literally taking it day by day and just trying to, to explore places that we can go out and walk with our dog. Well, and it's not like, uh, you know, I'm just thinking all the other things that we're doing virtually, uh, you know, like having virtual cocktail parties. And um, tonight I'm watching a movie with friends, although we're all in different parts of the country um but we're syncing our watching of it and then texting um but you can't do that with you can't like take a virtual dog walk you know (laughs) like (laughs) or have a virtual play date with your dog and your friend's dog (laughs) i mean you could i I guess but it wouldn't really achieve the same thing at all uh, i'm doing an endless an endless array of virtual trainings with owners. And, and, and it's often interesting to watch them trying to keep their dog focused for the, for the length of the appointment. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to another dog trainer earlier who was talking about the skill set that you need to do virtual dog training. Um, and she, she was saying, um, you know, she, she's she made her realize how often in a dog training class, if the owner isn't performing what they're supposed to perform, she will just take their place and do it with the dog as an example. But you can't do that when you're not in the same room. <laughs> like you can't model the behavior with the dog because you're not in the room with the dog. Um, so, you, you know, she was saying she has to find a whole different way of communicating that, uh, which. Yeah. I remember back in the in dog training college, we used to do this exercise where we would all have to take a, a a command out of a hat, and then without telling anybody what the command is, and without using our mouth or words, 
explain the exercise and get people to do it. So all of those, all of those skills come back. Um, it's true. I've done that exercise. It's amazing uh, because it makes you realize how terrible we are at communicating anything to a dog. Um, you know, I was sent out of the room when I did this exercise at Animal Farm Foundation, actually. And you come in and there's a, someone who's supposed to train you to do some task, you know, using just a clicker or something to give you a cue that you're approaching the task in some way. Um, and you just make a fool of yourself completely. Both people, both, both the, you know, trainee and the trainer, uh, you end up climbing the walls and, and trying to guess what is it that I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> it, it makes you realize like how much we rely on words. And when we're training our dogs, they are reading our body language. They're not following our words. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm got my eyes open watching the various skill sets that do evolve with virtual training. Everyone seems to have their own little knack or their own little approach to it. And uh, I'll, I'll see a lot of a lot of different. There's a lot of different different approaches evolving. We've got so some people are you... who are great standing in front of the classroom who are wonderful at demonstrating. There's another group of trainers who are very psychiatric almost in their approach, where they're really good at making the connection with the owner and walking them through um, their relationship with their dog and how to fix that or what the problem is with their dog. I, I, you know, I think one of the things people are calling me a lot about is they can read stuff in books. There's a plethora of examples out there on, online. You can download any any type of instruction you want about your dog online, but folks just, they don't have confidence that you're doing it correctly. They really want somebody to work with them one-on-one -on -one and watch what they're doing and give them confidence that what they're doing is correct. And we need that because most of what we're doing with our dog is so small. Just, I mean, if we think about it, just teaching them to like pee on a wee-wee pad. I mean, it's such a small thing that most of us, we're just used to doing very complicated tasks. And we're not, we don't have confidence when it comes down to doing something really, really simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you foresee or hope to see happening as the city reopens and, and what role do dog owners and their dogs have in that? Uh, well, I've been in both places. I've been out of New York City and in, in New York City. And I think everything has to be, you know, that, that's the great demarcation line. It's, it's, is it in New York or out of New York? Because nothing's been hit like the tri-state area. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in New York City. I don't think anyone, even people, even the mayor de Blasio today was talking about, we're actually maybe talking September when it comes to reopening the city. So we just don't know what's happening yet. Um, some people venture out more than others. And I, I think we're, it's, I think it's a wait and see game to see if the cases, the hospitalizations, um, start going up. Or if they continue to slowly go down. Um, the, the city is pretty much, it's, it looks like the 1970s. It's back when, when there was a recession and the city emptied out. It's, it's like a ghost town, except all culture stripped away. There's almost no culture left in the city. Uh, people aren't speaking. There's, it's just, it's a very strange place right now. But does it feel trying good to, be to be back in spite of that? Well, what do you, you people, you can't disappear from your life. There's only so, if there's only so long you can stay away from your house or your home or your job and, and stare at a barn. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. When I, I mean, I lived in New Orleans during during before, during and after Katrina and was lucky enough to be able to go back early, although there wasn't necessarily reason for me to go back because I have a job 
you know, schools weren't reopening, all that stuff. Um, but I remember thinking, like, but I feel like there needs to be the first people to go back so that then the next people can also come back, you know? <laughs> like, there needs to be a first wave of people who are in place to to make whatever the process ends up being possible. Um, so in a way, maybe, I, maybe you're doing that as well. Um, I, I'm trying to be optimistic and I, and a lot of my friends who've been here for the past six weeks have lost that optimism, but I'm trying to believe that like every week things are going to start getting better. And I don't, I'm not foolish enough to think it's ever going to return to the way it was before. But hopefully things improve and life can start taking root again. But we're going to, it's we're literally taking it one day at a time. Anyone who says they know what's going to happen next week, we don't know. And what does Gabriel, who is your German shepherd, for people who don't know him, um, what does he seem to be thinking of all of this? I'm, uh, I'm concerned. He was having a terrific time out in the country. Um, not sure what it's like here in New York City right now. I'm not sure how healthy it is for him. There's not, there's no grass to be walking on. The streets are dirty. <laughs> um, he's my constant companion. But if things don't improve, I think I might have to, uh, he may be the reason. Um, I decide to leave the city again. Um, right now, it's not a. It's, I don't think it's a great place for your pet. It's not a great place for us right now. Right. And so, being there is kind of a. Well, I mean, a risk. In a in a number of different ways. And, and and that's the problem. It's every time you want to go outside with your dog, are you taking, it's not going out for a walk. It's not going out to see a friend. It's like each time you walk out the door, you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk in the elevator. You're taking a risk on the stairwells. You're taking a risk that your dog is stepping on something. Um, and when, I mean, I'm trying to think of uh how do you know or how do we know when or how that will change or at least turn back to something more familiar? I guess we don't. I, I'm literally, I, I, I came back to the city. I'm giving it a month. And if I don't think, if I don't see things improving, um, I'm thinking of telling my landlord it's time to break the lease and I'm going to find a mover and we'll be leaving. Um, I don't think I can live like this for six months. And I'm hearing that from quite a few of my fellow dog owners, people who got money or have the means to move. We're all questioning whether we're going to stay here. Um, Yeah, that's scary to hear. And I'm not sure um, a lot of us are going. Right, I know. I mean, I'm saying that's scary to hear. I, of course, left New York a long time ago. I'm outside of the city an hour or so. Um, but I still like to think of the city as being the vibrant place that I used to live in, you know? <laughs> um it just can't be right now. You, It's like, I mean, dogs are so, so social. And we all talked about how we like had this whole community at the dog park with people running, meeting people who, and you didn't even know their names and you got to know them well and you got to know right. things about them. Nowadays, if, I mean, if you're out on the street, your, your dogs want to go see other dogs and the, you, we have to, we have to distance from those. Yeah, animals, I know. Especially if we I, don't was, know. I saw this young girl yesterday with, with a German shepherd puppy who looked like a spitting image of my dog. And I'm like, oh, and she knew nothing about dogs. She's I got this German shepherd. I've never had a dog before. And I'm shouting at her, well, give me a call. And she <laughs> wants to come over and talk to me. Um, but we can't get too close. And then she asked me for a card. And I'm like, I don't necessarily want to hand her my 
business card and I don't carry them right now. Well, you could so hold the, a card up and she could zoom in with her phone and take a picture. Oh, um, you've done this. We, I, I think we've done this. Have we? Um, I, I similarly have had the problem of seeing dogs that I want to run up to and introduce myself to and then realizing like, oh, wait, I can't do that. And I would look like a lunatic if I tried to do it right now, even more of a lunatic than I usually am. Um, I walked out the door the other day, speaking of dogs in the city, and um, I walked out of my door here in Newburgh the other day, and there was a guy walking up the street with three Rottweilers that were each different sizes, like a giant Rottweiler, medium to large Rottweiler, puppy Rottweiler. And of course, I love Rottweilers. It was like, I wanted to run over and say hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, but but then I was like, oh wait, I can't do that. Um, and it was a very frustrating moment because usually seeing people with dogs, I feel more comfortable and more social than I do, you know, just walking up to a normal person with no dog. Um, but in, in the this new world we live in, we sort of can't be uh, social. It's made, it's made me realize that I'm not as much of an introvert as I thought I was. <laughs> oh, and of course, the first thing my dog does when we get out in the country is develop an allergy to grass. <laughs> I, I, I call it the Green Acres Syndrome because it's my second dog who the second we got in the country was like singing the Green Acres song. I get allergic smelling hay. <laughs> I just adore my penthouse view. Um, right. Exactly. He's a city dog. So you asked me how he's doing. So he's not, not taking his itch medication now that we're back in the city. So that that's that's a good thing. Um. Well, that is good. That's the bright side, I guess. Since we want to give people something to hope for, they can, they can be happy that your dog isn't having allergy attacks in the city. Oh, well, I'm laying in between... Two of my dogs, including, well, actually, they're both um, going back to our old dogs. I was laying in between Doug and Bananas, who are my dogs that uh, Brando picked out for me when he was late in life. And so they are like the missing link between my current life and my past life. Because I imagine that Brando passed everything on to them that they needed to know about me. <laughs> he's, he, he's still giving them the secret handshake. Exactly. Oh. Well, we should wrap this up, but thank you for coming on to talk about what the dog world is like in the city right now. Um, and we're about we're about to start slowly reopening um, and doing some dog walks for people. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that happens. Um, I'm just walking one or two dogs right now for essential workers. And so my, my dog is happy to see some friends, but then oh, there's a whole good. set of protocols. There's a whole set of protocols now that's evolving about how we're going to walk dogs in New York city. We're all, we, we have this feeling we have to have our own equipment. So when we go in, the owners have the, their ha the harness or collar on the dogs, and we just we, we don't touch anything. We just use our own leash and hook the dog. And at this point, I'm doing all private walks. People are a little concerned. They don't want their dogs meeting other dogs. So uh, we're doing private walking for the moment. And we're taking it week by week and seeing how that goes. Oh, I, I can send you a picture. I walk. We, uh, the owners all gravitate back towards Tompkins Square Dog Park, and we just stare at it. And our dogs try to run to the gate, and are just very confused that we're not opening the gate and going in there. Um, but we all see it. All seems to be the point. We all keep returning to it as part of the destinations of our walks. Yeah, I can imagine, sort of staring at the scene. It's now filled um, with bird. It's filled with birds, and the hawks have taken over the fences. <laughs> oh wow! So it's it, 
it's become the territory of our resident red tail hawk in Tompkins. It's amazing how quickly nature moves in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Next destination. Uh, well, that's what you know seems to be popular for people escaping the city. So maybe you will show up here, <laughs> um, and we will we'll consider opening the door. <laughs> I okay, will talk to we'll you have soon. a good night. It's terrific. Terrific to hear your voice, Ken. You too. Talk to you Bye. later. Ciao. Are you still there? So one of the big uh, things that the Tompkins Square Dog Park is known for is the annual Halloween costume parade. Which um, I remember years and years ago being this very tiny group of crazy people who put costumes on their dogs. And I would sometimes cross paths with them and just think like, how <laughs> how silly is that group of people with their little dog parade? <laughs> and this, this was years before there was, well, it's hard to believe, but there's now a dog Halloween costume industry. <laughs> but this was before all of that. Yeah. And people were very creative and very dedicated. Um, and there wasn't necessarily a huge audience gathering with them. It was just sort of them appreciating each other. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yet it's gotten much bigger, obviously. Um, what What are the crowd estimates for the last couple of years? Well, when they shut us down and moved us out of Tompkins Square Park, we were told the park had filled with 20,000 people. They locked all of the doors and entrances into the park. And there was such crowds on the street that we were blocking traffic all across Avenue A and First Avenue over to Second Avenue. So that's when the in, in, in the New York fashion – we got I got taken out behind the tool shed by the chief of police, and they put a big kibosh on this ever happening in Tompkins Square again. And yeah, I was <laughs> I was shocked when I I mean I was um, gone for many years, and then I came back and uh, went to my first um, my first Halloween parade again, and it was literally wall to wall people maybe more than wall to wall. Like, I mean, you couldn't see dogs because there were too many people. You couldn't <laughs> see the, you couldn't see the ground where your feet, where your sneakers were, were standing. I know. Um, and I foolishly and, told people I would meet them there. And it was like, I'm, we're never going to find each other, obviously. And this is a small, for people that don't know it, it's a relatively small park. It's a 10, it's a 10 acre park, it, but you know, and, and, and I mean, it's not central park is what I mean. Big, it's like yeah. 20,000 people on 10 acres is, uh, is crowded. <laughs> um, and as shocked as you were, the group that put it together, I mean, it's always been put together with like a handful of people. Um, and every year you, we, we would get together wondering if, if anyone was going to show up. And over the course of 40 minutes, you will go from an empty park to 10,000 people. Um, so, yeah, we, we were, believe me, as organizers for this, we're as shocked as anyone else. So what um, the last the last uh, iteration of the Halloween parade this past year, I know it was up in the air until sort of the very last minute partially due to the change in location and issues with permits and issues with sponsorship. Um, what ultimately happened there? Um, and I'm wondering also, obviously, what happens in the future right now when a gathering of even a couple dozen people is, is not uh, authorized? Ken, I mean, we're going on, this would be our 30th anniversary, which is a good way of knowing dog parks in New York City have been around for 30 years, because this started with the first dog park. Um, but it seems the legacy of our dog parade now is, will it happen this year? 
New, New York one and the news starts calling, about, you know, in summer, will the parade happen again this year? So I don't think this year is going to be any different. It's interesting, too, because it almost has reversed the entire dynamic that initiated the parade, which is that it used to be about a group of people who lived in the neighborhood wanting to have fun with their dogs. And now it's about all these outside forces, including the media, saying, like, it's going to happen, isn't it? (laughs) And, you know, of course, we did it because we needed a way to fundraise, fund the dog park. We, you know, uh, when I got involved and in, in, when I got my Rhodesian Ridge back was, and you had first gotten Brando, we were starting to take the dog there and we saw the interest building in dog parks and more and more people were coming here. And it, we got together and fe- said there had to be a better way to care for these places. They weren't going to be healthy places to bring dogs if it was just going to be like a, a, mud pit. A, a, mucky, a mud pit, a mucky field with gates that fall, fell off the door every 10 minutes. So we had to figure out a way to fundraise and, and build a better dog park. And that's why we built up um, the, the Halloween, par- the Tompkins Square Halloween Parade. It was our fundraiser because the city wasn't giving us money for this. And, and I got a feeling as we move into the future now, we're with all of the... Uh, events happening in our world today we're not going to have money again for dog parks for quite some time so it is going to fall back upon dog owners to take care of these places to steward and shepherd these places that we have and somehow support them so how do you i mean this is a question that i know there's not really an answer to my favorite kind of question um but how do you plan for a event of any size right now um and do you think there's a way of doing something scaled down do we do a zoom dog halloween parade or (laughs) um how does this translate we we will see what will happen let's leave it at that again i don't know how it's going to happen it could be on zoom we could do a virtual parade um, how will Halloween happen? That's true. Um, somehow, I, I think we'll. Somehow, I think we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, We're just not letting the cat out of the bag right away. Right, right away. I feel like there is a cat in the bag. The way you're saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess there, it's there, like we, we just have to always tune in is. later, right? <laughs> Come back. <laughs> We're okay. Gonna... Well, that come that, back soon. That will uh, give everyone listening something to hope for and a marker to look at as we all plan our future movements. Is where will we be on October thirty first, and and with Tw- who? Twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, and um, perhaps I'll see you on Halloween. Yeah, and we'll we'll have I mean, you the, down. The as good a, thing is we we'll can have incorporate you down as a judge again this year. Well, if it happens this year, I will definitely be there to judge. The good thing is we can incorporate all of our PPE into our costumes. Absolutely, you know, we'll have facial coverings and gloves <laughs> as part of whatever we're dressed as. Um, uh, there'll be a whole crowd of Jason masks. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, thank you. And we will see, uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Ken Foster. Talk to you soon. Bye.